Well, good morning again. This is the launch of a new two-week series, a long series, called I Love My Church. And the reason why, why we want to place this here and now is because there's a lot of things coming up for Bethlehem in the next few months. Um, we're going to be switching locations. We're going to be transitioning to a new season of our, of our church's history. And so especially at a time like this, we just want to pause a little bit to make sure that we remember what it is we are, why we're here, and what we're all about. So there's two knots I have for you at the beginning of this service, uh, beginning of this message. The first knot is that this is not a series, really. Um, this is more of an opportunity for us to realize who we are as a church and what's lying ahead for us as a church. And so there's some big decisions to make. There's some things we'll have to navigate. Um, so this isn't so much a teaching series as it is just an opportunity for us to sit down as a church to, to recenter and to refocus ourselves. The second thing, which the first service laughed about, I don't know why, it's not an accident that I'm up here for this message. Now, they just thought that was the most hilarious thing. I'm like, why are you laughing? Um, but it's not an accident that Matt is the one preaching today's message, launching this new series, because he's the smarter one. <laughs> ben said, you know what, Matt, it'll be, it'll be weird if he, if Ben would stand up here and give us reasons why he loved his church. Because the, the, the truth is, he's been here for, what, 14 years? Going on 14, just finished, 14, I don't know, about 14 years. So he's officially a teenager for Bethlehem. So he's been here for 14 years. He's taken this church from about 100, or under his leadership, under his pastorship, this church has grown from about 100 now to about 800 souls. Um, so, so he's been here for a while to develop that. I got here three years ago. Almost to the day, three years ago that I've been here. So I walked into this church. I didn't create the culture. I didn't set the tone. I didn't create the atmosphere. I walked into a church. And so Ben, in a very unusual moment, he said, Matt, I'm not going to tell you what to say. Just go out there and share with people why you love this church. I said, Ben, are you sure that I love it? <laughs> He's the one who created it. So this is all his fault all his fault. All I am is an innocent, I just work here, okay? I just work here. So what I want to do by the end of the message, I want to share my story with you, why I love my church. Um, before we get there, though, I want to ask the question as we begin the series, what should I love about my church? Um, if you ask that question to any number of churches, you're going to get a variety of responses, even within the same church, you're going to get a variety of responses. Let's go through some of the options. Great coffee. Great donuts. Um, great technology. Some people say, well, what would make people love my church more? And the answer would be, we need a, we need a, a younger pastor. And some would say, we need an older pastor. <laughs> and so they settle for guys like me. Um, but you ask the question, what should I love about my church? You're going to get a variety of different answers. We need a bigger place. We need a smaller place. We need more ministry of this. We need more ministry on that. Well, what does it take to love a church? And by the end of today's message, I, want, I hope that most of you will be able to put your finger on it. Like when you found a church that you just loved, more ch uh, pr chances are we're going to get to the answer why, even if you couldn't verbalize it before. But before we get there, some might even argue we shouldn't even be having this conversation because isn't the church just supposed to preach the truth of God? 
And so we're not in the business of making people love us. We're just here to preach the truth of God and to help people see things God's way. And granted, there's an element of truth to that. We're not in the business of making people love us, but I believe we should take away as many obstacles as we can that prevent that from happening. So what we want to do today, actually, we're going to look at a really unique section here, and some of you have probably read this before, but this was written in the first century because here's the thing. Back in the first century, people did not love their church, which is ironic because this was like the first time churches were a thing. Um, the Apostle Paul went around, he was pl- churches in different areas, and he would get word back from people, hey, such and such doesn't love the people in this church. Such and such is, is arguing. There's a lawsuit in this church. And, and Paul got this word that people just did not love the church. In fact, it got to the point where people even accused Paul himself, saying, Paul, the only reason why you love church because you're going to have a whole bunch of churches that are going to be supporting your retirement. You're just in this for the money. You're just in this to get food, to get water, to get you know, fed, and, and to make a living. This is all a selfish thing from you. And so Paul takes some time in one of his letters that he wrote in the first century to respond to these accusations. This is cool, though. But in so doing, he gets down to the heart and core of what we should love about a church? And the answer might surprise some of you. So we go into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. This is what Paul says. So he says, am I not free? In other words, I'm not a slave to anyone. I don't, I'm not indebted to anyone. I'm a free man. I'm not in the slave class. I'm a free man. And he says, beyond that, am I not an apostle? I'm a man with a title. I witnessed that the, the, the Jesus who was crucified and rose again, I witnessed him alive. And more than that, I was commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself to go out and share the news that he is alive and that things have changed between God and men. So he starts out by saying, Don't just remember, just remember who I am as we're talking here. Now, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Like, aren't you kind of proof that I am who I claim to be? I came to you with the message of Jesus. You received it. You received this new life. It's amazing. So let's just get all this straight. Now, now he's going to take this in a certain direction then. He goes on. He says, now this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me, who, who say that I love my church for all the wrong reasons. Don't we, apostles like me, don't we have the right to food and drink. If, if I go preach at a different church some weekend, I know that 99%, they're going to give me some sort of a, a stipend, an allowance, a, a, a gift, whatever, a check to say, hey, thanks for coming out. Like that's, Paul says, that's our right. When you go out and do something for people, it's your right to, to get food and drink from it. Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife with us, just like the other apostles are doing? They're traveling around. They're being supported. They don't have to stay somewhere and earn a living and do ministry on the side. We have the right to earn a living from this. But here's where he changes things. Verse 15, he says, but I have not used any of these rights. When he was with this church, he worked every week making tents in a tent factory. 
He was a tent maker, earning an income so that he could have food. It wasn't really a factory. But he was, he was earning money to, to, to get food and to support himself, and that's just what he did. He did not use any of his rights. And I think we need to pause there individually. Because if we want to be a part of a church that people love, it has to start with the people in that church not just doing things because they can do it. There comes a time, there comes a place when you have to say, you know what, we could do this. We have the right to do this. We're going to choose not to so that we might have a greater influence with those who don't yet know us. Okay, I have to throw out the American thing. Americans, we have rights, right? We have the freedom of speech, and we can say all sorts of stuff on Facebook and Twitter and all that. We can say it, and no one can stop us. It's our right. But maybe there's a time and a place to set aside that right for the sake of simply showing love to other people. If you want a church that people love, it starts by not just doing things because you can do them. And then verse 19, we're going to get into the, the, what's in your uh, uh, bulletin here. He says, though I am free, we've already established that, I belong to no one, I can do what I want. Get this, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. If you're a slave to someone, what does that mean? What he's getting at is to be a slave to someone means that you know them. If you're a slave, your life is much better if you know your master's needs and if you can predict his wants, if you know his patterns, if you know his behavior, if you know your master, your life is going to be much, much better. And and Paul's about to, to make that same connection. I've made myself a slave to everyone. I'm not looking to them to give me something. I have all my attention on them to see how I can help them. Because here's what Paul understood. The life-changing gospel which he had, strike that, the eternity-changing gospel that he had, it's not just that you can plop it out there with a megaphone and all of a sudden it'll change people's eternities. What, what, What Paul understood is that you need to take that message, but it also has to intersect with someone's real life. Uh, Fill in number one, that the gospel that gives eternal life must intersect at some point with someone's daily life. And here's what it looked like for Paul. So, So one day, Paul, whose name was actually Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. You would ask him, hey, Paul, do you love the church? He would say, nope, I'm trying to kill it, actually. He would go out and he would arrest Christians with the hope that they would be put to death. And one day, he was on his way to Damascus to do that when... The gospel literally intersected with his life. Uh, Jesus appeared to him on the road, knocked him to the ground, and what happened for a different reason. There was a Christian there named Ananias, and Ananias probably walked up to him and he said, Brother Saul, wow, you are a mess. You've been arresting Christians. You've been killing them. You've been trying to kill the church. But Brother Saul, you know what? God forgives you, and God wants to use you. And from that day forward, Paul understood that when the, the, the uh, gospel touches someone's eternity, it, it always intersects at some point in their life. And so Paul said, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to be there, to know people, to understand how they think, 
so that he would have a chance to take that gospel and apply it to someone's daily life. Now, he's going to give some examples of what that looked like. So Paul said, for me, this is what it looked like. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. Um, And I want to focus on the the yellow words, became like. What he is saying is he didn't just want to study people or understand people, but he wanted to almost literally put himself in their shoes to to become like them. And he's going to apply this to some different situations and different backgrounds of people, but he starts here in an interesting place. He says, so to the Jews, I became like a Jew. And someone might raise their hand and say, but Paul, you are a Jew. Um, You're a descendant of a Jew. You're a Jewish person. And so Paul pauses here and he's like, let me clarify what I mean by that. Um, He goes on to say this. He kind of clarifies what he means. He says, to those under the law, to the Jews who are under the law, I became like one under the law. To someone who believes that, that they have to keep the rules in order for God to love them, Paul says, I know what that's like. Paul was there. There was a long stretch of Paul's life where he believed that the only way for God to love him was for Paul to keep the rules and for him to keep the law. And so he continued. He continued to try this. And you know what Paul found? He found there is no peace. There is no hope. There's only guilt. There's only shame every time you break one of them. And so Paul made himself. He became like someone under the law to relate to them. See, he catered to their views, but he did not, he did not cave in to his beliefs. He says, though I myself am not under the law. There's, there's, a, there's a big truth here. So what Paul did was he catered to people's views without caving in to the truth. He catered to their views, but he did not uh, test. He did not change the truth one single bit. And in the way that he would address people and, and approach them, he would simply say to them, hey, I know what it's like to be you. Let me learn from you. What is it like to be you? What are your fears? What's motivating you? Because if I were you, this is how I would feel. And, and he, w- he was putting himself in their shoes so as to win them over, to win them for heaven. He goes on. There's another, another illustration here. He says, to those not having the law. So, so the, the previous section was about all the religious people who were trying to keep their rules. And now it's to irreligious people who maybe don't even know if there's a God. So to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. I would look at him and I'd say, I, I understand the questions you have. I understand the doubts. And you probably just need to talk about whether God exists before we even talk about the, the, the gospel, the news of a resurrection. And so Paul would approach them and, and he would say, these are the questions you must have. This is the, the unknown thing in your, in your life. And, and that's where he would start with them. Not just megaphoning out a message but taking the gospel and pushing it into their life. So he became like one not having the law. And again, he didn't compromise the truth. He says, though I am not free of God's law, but am under Christ's law, the law of love, so as to win those not having the law. One more situation, then I'll give you a fun little picture. So to the weak, I became weak. This is the most astounding one to me because doesn't your patience run out when people are bothered by every little thing you do? 
Like they have a weak conscience, they have a weak approach to you, and they say, are you sure you can do that? I don't know if we should. Maybe we should think about it. And, 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 it's, and it's like our natural part of us, you just want to flex your freedom at them to show them what you can do. Yes, we can do this. Of course we can. Stop wasting my time. But Paul, when he approached people who were weak, instead he would say, you know what? I get it. I understand why this is, why this is a sensitive thing. Let's take the time to figure this out. And so he would navigate those issues as one who was weak in order to save the weak, in order that he would win them. So you put all those things together. <clears throat> and Paul kind of summarizes this in the next phrase. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He recognizes that the power of salvation is in the message, but he doesn't want to do anything that gets in the way of the message. He understands it's all on God to create faith in people's hearts, but he wants to live and act as if everything depended on him to, to, to become a vehicle for the gospel to have an impact on someone's life. And if this was true in the first century for an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's still safe to say it's true for us today that some people, before they can really know God and, and have a, an open door to hearing about God, before that can ever happen, some people just need to be known by someone who already knows him. Fill in number two makes it a little less complicated. Before some people can know God, they just need to be known by someone who knows God, so that that person can then say to them, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know the fears. I know the motivations. But can I show you what the real God is like? And can I show him his answer to what you need? Some people just need to know, be known by someone who already knows God. And as Paul put this into practice, he kind of sums this all up, and he thinks about this, and he says, you want to know why I love my church? You don't want to know what it is? Verse 23, I do all of this. I make myself a slave to people. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. The sake of the gospel. That's my motivation. That's my love. So that I might share in its blessings. I don't want to love my church all by myself. I want to let other people love my church with me too. And so that was something that went out with him into, into all, the, all the ways that he would interact with people and grow the church. Now, here's the picture. So in my family, my wife was in the first service, and I, I shared this same words then, so don't think I'm a horrible husband. You can think I'm a horrible husband, because I am sometimes, but I'm forgiven, yay. Um, so in my household, I'm usually the one who, who makes the meals, who, who cooks supper. And it's not that my wife can't do it, it's just that I'm better at it. So one thing we started a number of years ago in, in our household is um, I started making some made-from-scratch pizza. And everything was made from scratch except for the cheese and the sauce, which means all I did was make some, some dough. Um, but we, I found this recipe for dough, and I've been making it ever since. I don't, it's like one of those things I don't need a recipe card for anymore. But anyway, I make the dough, and has anyone here made homemade pizza before? You know how to? Okay, so quite a few of you. Making the dough is pretty easy. It can get a little sticky. The, the hard thing about the dough is that when you put it in the pan, 
Like you can try to push it out, but what does it do? You push it out and it goes back in to where it was. Now this is our pan for making pizza. This is a rectangle. Fill in number four on your sheets. Rectangles, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) You see, people who use the round pans, those are the lazy people. Like you can just put a piece of dough out, it'll just sort of go in. I'm I'm kidding. I'm sorry. But the round ones are easy. If you want to challenge, make a pizza in this thing. Because here's what you do. You try to put it down. You try to push it out. You push it out. You push it out. There's no way to keep that dough in the corners. Now, here's the application. There's two ways to eat a pizza. Number one, you can just plop that dough down. You can smother some stuff on it, put a little cheese on there. You can cook it, and it will feed you. It will keep your kids alive. The other way to make the pizza is the harder way where you push it, you press into it, and you push it out into all the corners so that you can load it with all the good things that go along with the crust. And and I I picture in, in some ways the gospel message is very similar. You can take that gospel message, you can plop it down into someone's life, and it will open eternal life for them. It will feed them. It will do what it needs to do. But it's harder, it's more difficult to go into that person's life and to take that message and to push it out, to push it into all the different corners. Well, what does this message mean for the way you've been acting at work? Uh, What does this message mean for the way you've been viewing your marriage? What does this message mean for the way you've been treating your parents? You, You push out this message of the gospel into all the corners of life, and here's what happens. You still get eternal life but it'll make you better at life in the process. And as Paul went out into the early church, he he didn't just suffice it to say, all right, I've I've sent out the gospel, I'm just going to let it sit and then move on. But he got to know people. He understood them so that he could take that message and push it into every corner of their life. So that's the illustration. Here's my story. Matt, do you love your church? Come back next week for part two of the series. (laughs) Matt, do you love your church? I do, and here's why. Um, It was back in January that it was not a good time, and I kind of broke up in the first service, so if I break up, can you just start laughing? Like, that'll help me get through it. Literally, don't feel awkward if you start laughing. Um, but it was back in January. It's not a good time, not an easy time for, for my family, especially my wife. Uh, we lost her uh, laugh. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we, we lost her, her mom after a three-year battle with cancer uh, at the age of 57. And that was not an easy time. Another laugh, please. Um, so the way it happened was it was a, a Sunday afternoon, or actually a Sunday morning. I was preaching here in, in, for the church that I love, and uh, she got the phone call in the morning. She was sitting in my office, and quickly after church, I realized we need to head out there. The time was, was not going to be very long. <clears throat> so we didn't know what to do, just emotions everywhere, and so we, we go to our house, and and a little bit of a context, Amy goes to a growth group here at Bethlehem that's for moms, uh, and we both have a growth group that uh, we both belong to also. And what happened was the people in our growth group, the ones that were here and knew something was wrong, they, they went over with us to our home, 
And they said, Matt and Amy, here's what you need to pack. Here's what you need to do. We'll take care of your kids. Just go. <laughs> Is that weird to laugh? <laughs> and they took care of everything. They said, if you need to go out there, we'll drive your kids out for the funeral if need be. Just go. So we went out there, said our goodbyes, and within 48 hours, uh, she had passed. <clears throat> and then later that week, I actually ended up coming back here to, to do some things, and I brought the kids back to, to Wisconsin. Five, it's about a five-hour drive. We were there for the funeral that next weekend, and, and there were some people from our growth group who drove five hours one way just to be there with us. They knew five people <laughs> at that funeral Okay, one more. <laughs> they knew five people at that funeral, and they came just for us, just to be there when we needed them. And <clears throat> you ask me, do you love your church, Matt? And I'd say, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, this is a church where we're not just content to say, let's look at heaven, let's look at eternity, which is awesome, which is what every church needs. But this is a church where we take that message and we push it into every corner of life, the good times and the bad. And if I had to put it down to one word, like if, if the Apostle Paul put it in one word, what is it that makes a church that people love? And my story is, is kind of unique and at the same time not unique, but some of you love Bethlehem. You've been coming here and there's been no tragedies. It's just this is a great place. And, and maybe we asked you, well, why do you, what do you love about it? And you mentioned the music or, or Ben or more often me. And there's these great things you love about it, but if I had to put it down to one word, well, what is it that you should love about a church? I would put it in this one word, empathy. Empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's situation so that you feel what they feel, and you are not content to stay there until you help them. Empathy pushes the gospel into every corner of your life. And this is a church where we create environments where that can happen. So two things. We've got to wrap this up. Two things. Number one, some of you will look at that and say, oh, wait, that kind of makes sense. You know, the, the way that we create the, the environment, we put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's walking in for the first time. What would they want to see? That's why I felt so welcome when I came in here, because someone else was thinking about how I would be feeling in this place. That's why the music connects with me. Someone actually thought about how I would react, how I would feel, how I would look at things. That's why the messages connect with me, because the pastors think about real people and what they're thinking about, what they're questioning, what their doubts are, what they need. And it all goes back to that one word, empathy. And, and so this is the first thing. For some of you, you're like, oh yeah, that's why I love my church. They reach people where they're at. And here's the second part. Empathy is not something that we can give you from here. And it's not something our musicians can give you from there. Empathy is what happens out there. And we need the church to make a church that people love. We need people who greet first-time guests as they come in, people with a smile, 
That's empathy. We need people, when we, when we go into to the fusion with, with the kids, we need people who are there to tell parents, we've got things covered. We've got the back door locked. Your kid isn't going anywhere. Your kid is safe. Um, we, we need people who are there to simply help people take the next step because the kind of church that you love is where people know who you are. They know what you're thinking. And they're able to take the, the, the gospel, which changes eternity, and they're able to let it intersect with your life today. Because some of us just need to know, be known by someone who already knows who God is. Now, this is an extraordinary time in our church history. We get to take some amazing steps forward in the next few months. I'll tell you what, what I love about this church is only going to get stronger in the next few months. This is an amazing time for lots of opportunities not just for us as small groups, but even for us as a large group on Sunday morning to show the community what it means to love one another. So why should I love my church? I can tell you that I do. And just to prove it, I'm going to wear a green shirt next week, just like some of these people are. So let's close up with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I know a lot of us come from different seasons of life, different backgrounds. Uh, for some of us, there is a time when we were a part of a church that we wouldn't say, couldn't say that we loved. We maybe supported it, we, we were there for it, we volunteered in it, but for, for whatever reason, that we just didn't love it. And for some of us, we repent because that was on us. We had the wrong attitude. We were looking to be served rather than, than to go in with open arms. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's just the way it is, too. With, with sinful people, no church will be different. But Father, today I thank you for the church you've given me. I pray that you would continue to bless us in these weeks, in these uh, months ahead, <clears throat> so that we can continue to be the church you designed and want us to be, one that leads people to Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.